Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Shaitan and Ajim, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, wa salatu wa salam ala al-ashraf al-anbiya wa mursaleen, Sayyidina wa Nabiyyina wa Habib qulubana wa tabiba nafusana abdel Qasim Muhammad. I want to begin the discussion tonight by looking at the religion not as something we've achieved, but as a template of potential for us as human beings, a template of potential. We really mustn't kid ourselves to think that we're anywhere near fulfilling the mandates of the Holy Prophet He brought guidance for us. He brought guidance for all of humanity. And when we look at the crises in the world today, within the Muslim world especially, and we see issues of sectarian violence, we know we have not achieved this template for our potential. We have not achieved it yet. We mustn't become complacent as worshipers to think that we really have enacted this deen, and then to become proud of ourselves when we attend various events, or put on various programs, or have the opportunity, like myself or other speakers, to be in this type of a position. We can't allow ourselves to think we've achieved it yet. But we have to examine our own states. In Arabic, we say, your hal, right? In, in Farsi, you say, what? or in Arabic, which actually is a spiritual question. We ask one another this, how are you? It doesn't mean how are you. It actually means how is your spiritual state? And so tonight's discussion, I want to begin by examining that. We have to recognize, too, what this prophetic mission was. What did our holy prophet Muhammad wasallam, bring us? He came to a peninsula, to a community that was entrenched in superstition, in ignorance, in violence, in lawlessness. It was essentially a land that was saturated with fear, saturated with fear. And he brought this mission of tawheed and oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a way to transform people, right, as a potential. And he did this never claiming to be anything other than a man and never asking for anything except for the love of his near ones. So this prophetic mission is something that achieved a major thing. And we're trying as a community today in this modern world to follow the footsteps of the Holy Prophet What we see is that he brought a group of people who were arrogant to bow their heads to the ground, to the earth, in humility. And that's a major achievement for a community that had otherwise been very arrogant and very easy to get offended, right? They were a warlike community, all these tribes of the Arabian Peninsula, correct? But somehow the Holy Prophet was able to get these people 
to take this part of themselves, their most noble aspect, and put it on the ground. And this is an act, not just a physical act, but is an act of putting the ego, the human sense of arrogance and importance, down. It's one of an action that will create peace. It is the most significant aspect of the mission of the Holy Prophet, to take this part of ourselves and put it on the lowest place. This is part of his prophetic mission. And what else was part of his prophetic mission? I want to look at a few other points briefly as an example of how can we talk about intra-faith cohesion and unity for real. Now, he brought what to the Holy Kaaba? A cleansing. He took away from the Kaaba all the idols that had previously been there. And what does that symbolize? It means he was asking this community to go beyond their concrete thinking and think abstractly, right? Stop looking at these stone forms, these wooden forms, these date forms that you create and thinking that somehow that's your God. Go beyond that and learn how to use your higher capacity for thinking. And if we do these things, one, increase our humility, two, increase our capacity for thinking, this abstract capacity that's so unique to the human being, these are paths towards cohesion and uniformity within communities. These are the paths towards creating tolerance and creating healthy environments. What else did he achieve? He did all of this in a unique way. He didn't threaten people. He didn't intimidate people. He didn't act like the tyrants of history, right? He didn't have any coercion or compulsion. He never claimed godhead like the pharaohs had of ancient Egypt to create this mission or to enact this mission from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He didn't do this with conquering tribes. He didn't do it with bribery. And he didn't do it with promises of worldly wealth. Subhanallah, this prophetic mission didn't use all of this force that we see in the turmoil of today's societies and in the turmoil of these Muslim nations. He brought these principles. But what I want to remind us all of tonight is that it's something we have to constantly, actively implement. It is not automatic. Just because you recited the kalima doesn't mean all of these things are in place. You have not enacted this prophetic mission in your own self and in your own communities just by saying, La ilaha illallah wa Muhammadan Rasulallah. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. What are the qualities he brought? Clemency and forbearance. Social justice and tolerance for all religions, establishing what? Many treaties throughout his history and creating an environment that was equitable and an environment that was a place where people could live in peace. What? Through mutual understanding and tolerance and agreements, through holding honest agreements. He created an environment where racial and ethnic equality was a possibility, where gender equity was a possibility. He created an environment where he said economic justice is a priority where educational justice is a priority, where literacy was promoted, where thinking was promoted, where morality was promoted, and where the tempering of these base desires of the human being was the ultimate drive for the human being, taking that nafs, that self, that ego, and reducing it and reducing it and reducing it. All of these qualities I've just described for you of the prophetic mission are indeed the template for us to create unity in and our, between the different sects of Islam, between people of different faiths as well. 
Now, I want to talk about why this is so hard for us to do, because we have to understand the nature of the human being. Both within the nature of the human being is why we haven't been able to do this, and also the potential for why we can do this. SubhanAllah, there's a duality in this nature of the human being. Insan has a root word. Some will say, when you look at the linguists, that the root of insan is what? Nasiya, to forget, to be forgetful, yes? Many linguists look at this as the root. And they say, what is this aspect, this forgetfulness of the human being? This is part of why the ego can rule in the human being, why the arrogance can become a priority versus humility, why being right becomes so important to individuals. Now, my background is in psychology and education, so that's why I want to look at this issue in a very practical way, also understanding the nature of the human being a little more deeply. What is this in us? We have this ego, this need to be right. And why do we do that? Why do we have to be right and insist on our ways, no matter what we do? In any field, right? Whether it's in the home, whether it's at work, whether it's children playing together who can't share a toy. No, I want it, right? We see it from the earliest stages of development to later stages of human development. Isn't that right? But why? It's because we have to overcome the fear of our own insignificance. This is called existential angst in philosophy or psychology. The fact is... We are vulnerable human beings, vulnerable creations. And that produces a very unconscious fear. Not everybody's aware of this on a daily basis. But this is what makes our ego become dominant and not humility and trust. So what is happening? We're having fear instead of faith. And this leads to foolishness, to insecurity, and it basically leads to being ineffective as a human being. It leads to lack of social cohesion and then even in the worst case, violence to protect that weak self from that existential angst and fear. Now to create a healthy community, to create healthy communities of different belief systems, you have to avoid all trappings of the ego. And what are these trappings of the ego? Drama, political jockeying, intrigue. What's that like? Backbiting, spreading rumors, all of that intrigue. What else we have to avoid? Grabbing attention, trying to look good, making things appear good on the surface. SubhanAllah, sometimes you can have a teacher in the most unique places in life. I'm staying in a hotel here in New York City, and who was on duty last night but a Muslim by the name of Shadid. What a nice name. Iron, right? What did he tell me? He says, when I go to the mosque, I see all these people trying to be it, trying to be cool, trying to be hip, trying to be on top, trying to be in charge. He says, but the akhlaq, you know, the, the character of the people, and then how they demonstrate it through their adab, it's just missing. But everybody wants to look good. Everybody feels good being here. Everybody goes to every majlis, and they can check it off and say, look, I've been here. But really, have you been here? Have you transformed yourself? Have you put into action this prophetic mission? Have you lowered this ego and overcome your fear? That's the real question. 
Now here's another hopeful aspect of the word in san. So one part is the forgetfulness, right? Where the ego comes into play. But the other aspect of in san is that it may come from the root word that is anisa. Familiarity, companionship, being close or intimate with others. So there's this other aspect of being a human and insan. Insan is also a social being who wants to create. Salah ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. So Anisa, wanting to be familiar, wanting to have companionship, wanting to create what? Harmony. Harmony between people. This potential is in the insan, in the human being as well. And so as my final thought for this brief portion, this introduction, is our mosques are underutilizing their potential to be true places of learning. You see, in our former times as a Muslim ummah, it was not uncommon to And each of them would branch off and have their fiqh classes right within the same masjid or masalla area. One would go to one corner, study their fiqh. Another group would go in their corner and study their fiqh, and so on. And yet they came together doing what? Worshipping under the banner of La ilaha illallah wa Muhammadan Rasulullah. We have to pull from our own rich history as a Muslim ummah and use the example that's been in our tradition of learning how to utilize the mosque as a true center of learning and disseminating information, creating dialogue and discussion, and actually taking classes, not just coming for events, not just coming for dinners. This is not only a community center, but it could be a tremendous place of learning and learning is the foundation for change and growth. So with that, I bid you assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And inshallah we'll talk more.